0: Beautiful neighbourhood. I hope you're having a fabulous long weekend full of yay. I was sitting down to write up today's Yays of Our Lives episode, and one of my recommendations that came up was an incredible new book that I just finished, The Success Experiment, launched just recently by the inimitable Flex Mommy, otherwise known as Lillian Ahenken. I realised that I was struggling to describe, without just reading the entire book out to you here, just how uniquely but powerfully Flex articulates life's great questions with a splash of humor and so much color, both literarily and literally in the pages of her beautiful book. But I remembered that, of course, she jumped on the show two lockdowns ago around this time last year for a juicy chat, and I thought re-releasing that one would probably give you a better idea of just how wonderful she is. I've only just started re-releasing past episodes this year when a guest releases a new book or I unexpectedly end up without a new episode for that week, and I've been so surprised how often some of our chats fly under people's radars. So hopefully this time, this one reaches a few of you who missed it the first time around. Ignore a few temporal references relevant to last year, but otherwise, I hope you enjoy Flex's fascinating brain and eloquence as much as I did. I'll pop the link to her new book, The Success Experiment, in the show notes and hope you guys enjoy.
1: I think I've always, to a point, had some sort of identity crisis, but it wasn't rooted in being culturally different until adulthood, yeah. where people were a lot more forthcoming, you know, with what they felt about the way it looked. There is no one homogenous black experience. Yeah, there's barely a homogenous black Australian experience. Even if we were to to dwindle it down to the black Australian heterosexual female experience, nah, it's not. Homogeneous. any form of improving developing upskilling evolving transforming is hard shit absolutely <laughs> going against the grain isn't beneficial until it is
0: welcome to the seize the yay podcast The way that 2020 has unfolded has had a lot of us reflecting in ways we haven't in years, but self-awareness, existential reflection and critical thinking about values, behaviours and perceptions has been this week's guest's jam since long before the pandemic. Few people get my brain gymnastics going like the inimitable Liliana Henkin, who you may know as Flex Mommy, and the chat you're about to hear was no exception. While she is now changing how we think, how we do our makeup and how we decorate our furniture as a self-dubbed professional opinion-haver and slashy DJ slash TV host slash podcaster slash beauty guru slash creator of Flex Factory. I love chatting to Lil about the rollercoaster journey all of us go through, finding our personal balance between conventionality and difference. As an Australian-born Ghanaian woman, the societal projection of a homogenous black women's experience is just one of the many layers of identity that we peel back with her her incredible ability to articulate and guide multifaceted conversations. I was so captivated in exploring the different elements of our identity and the many snakeskins Flex has worn and shed herself that we went for almost two hours having a great laugh, but I've cut the best of for you to enjoy. If you aren't thinking fundamentally differently about things at the end of this one, I'd be surprised. I hope you enjoy this one as much as I did. Flex, welcome to CCA. It's been a long time coming but I'm so
1: so excited to have you on today. (laughs) Thanks for having me. I was having a thought this morning that between you and I we're the only people I can recall who use yay quite liberally (laughs) and don't think it's you know like condescending or contrived. I really feel like yay accurately describes a lot of things. It's the appropriate response for a lot. It's underrated and underused.
0: I agree. Oh, my gosh. This is one of the many million reasons why I adore you. I mean, yeah, you should be absolutely dished out in a liberal
1: fashion. Absolutely. In addition to exclamation points, I feel strongly (laughs) about those as well. And they are too underused. (laughs) Although I think I'm a bit the
0: other way. I overuse them. And then I think I saw it was maybe on the Shameless page the other day about if I have two sentences in an email, which one gets the exclamation mark? I'm like... Well, all of them, obviously. All of them and multiple.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it really does help with conveying tone because without them, I mean, to digress though, I was Googling this, I was Googling gendered speech patterns because somebody on TikTok said that that was one of their hobbies and I was like, what's a gendered speech pattern? And basically the internet told me that, uh, Stereotypically, women are more likely to integrate uh, very passive um, phrases into their language um, in the way that men might not. So women are more likely to say, um, uh, but, yeah, like, um, whereas men are more naturally inclined to speak and not mince their words. And as soon as I discovered that, I was thinking to myself, how hard would it be to make more of a considered effort to say exactly what I mean? as I want to rather than, you know, blah, 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 blah. And then, you know, like, and then, like, <laughs> <laughs> and it's so much harder because it changes your cadence. It changes your tone. It changes your accessibility. Absolutely. But aren't these gendered things also? It's interesting.
0: Oh my gosh. Okay. So firstly, for everyone listening, I mean, this is already, <laughs> if you wanted a taster of what flex is all about, it's asking the questions about the stuff we take for granted that we just do out of habit and really reflecting on what our reflexes are. I mean, that's what this is all about. You have literally a self-development and critical thinking game to your name. I just love that you ask the things that break taboo or even just break the autopilot circuit of thought patterns and talk about it so eloquently and (laughs) you're just so good. (laughs)
1: Thank you. I do try.
0: (laughs) So before we kick off, the first question I ask everyone as a little icebreaker is what the most down-to-earth thing is about them. And on the one hand, you are incredibly admired and followed closely on social media and in the world. And so there, it could appear like there was a bit of a glossy surface. But on the other hand, you're also one of the most open and taboo breaking person on the interwebs at this time. So it's probably like <laughs> not a question I actually need to ask you. But for anyone who's new to Flex Mommy, what's something really down to earth about you?
1: Oh, that's really interesting. And a trickier question, maybe for me than most, because sometimes I struggle with the way that relatability is commodified and how we're all so hyper aware of not being seen as other. Like, I'm just like you, I'm normal. (laughs) When in reality, probably most of us aren't like our audience and we're not normal. We are the abnormal, but I would have to say it's down to earth because it's the most surprising, but just being a really picky eater, I definitely eat like a toddler. (laughs) And people find it really interesting because I have such a flavorful appearance, but in any (laughs) given circumstance, I would prefer vanilla ice cream, plain, you know, mashed potatoes, plain as in uh, very simple, like simply cooked chicken, like a schnitzel. I don't want like it braised. I don't want it boiled. I don't want any variation of the norm. I want a cheese and a cracker. I'm talking, you know, I want a most, cheese and a cracker. <laughs> <laughs> at most a brie camembert. I'm not eating gorgonzola. I'm not doing it. <laughs> I'm not getting honey drizzled into it.
0: <laughs> that is, that actually blows my mind. That is the best right? answer I could have ever imagined.
1: That's it. I want white bread. I don't want multigrain. I don't want linseed. I don't want whole I don't even want brioche. Shh. Oh, my, you don't even want brioche. Oh, my, flex. No whoa. I, I don't mind a milk bun sometimes. But- <laughs> so specific, I love it. <laughs> that is it. I am quite a specific person.
0: Yeah, I think you are. I love that you know what you like and you know what you don't like and you're happy to, like, blow the horn of the things that you love. But on, on the other hand, you're like, but I don't need to be flavorful in every single aspect of my That's life. It. Like, I don't need to be rainbow, multicoloured, gradient, paint, equivalent in my plate like I'm bland that's fine.
1: Exactly and the people around me my closer loved ones are always trying to push me outside of my comfort zone because most people associate like a closed-mindedness with regret or lack like there's so much you're not trying and if you just I'm quite comfortable with the palette. when I wake (laughs) up there's nothing I feel (laughs) as though I need to try more or less of I have you know I have my options and the options are quite fine. Whereas in different aspects of my life, like let's say house decor, I don't feel fulfilled. Therefore, I must innovate and I must create and I must try new things. <laughs> oh my God, I love you so much. And that
0: actually like on a deeper level, what I extract from that as a really important reminder is that we do have this overarching belief that getting out of your comfort zone is a good thing and really we strive for discomfort because of the growth opportunity it offers which in a lot of cases people do need to get out of habit and familiarity and just you know autopilot but there's also something about you you can choose to stick with the things that you like just because exactly. you don't have to be different all the time. Like, oh, mm-hmm. great lesson. Great. Le- I mean, we could just end now. I mean, I've learned my lesson for today. <laughs> and that's it. Thank you so much for listening. Oh, man. So. I mean, you are not only one of my favorite people, but also just have really embody everything that CZA is about, about all the different ways you can take your career, all the many ways that you've gone that you might not have expected. And I love how there are so many contrasts in what you've done, what you do, what your personality is. I mean, you're, you're a professional opinion haver. You're just so many different things, but you hold them all so well. And it's Again, I think I love that it's not out of indecision that you are a professional slushy. I think, as you call it. It's Mm -hmm. a, a choice to pursue so many different sides of your personality. So the first section is your way, TA, which is pretty much explaining to us all the bits that came before the you that you are now. and. I think we often see people like yourself who are quite confident in their opinions and where they sit and what I mean, like what their palate is. And you've done a lot of work to find now what works for you and what your joy is. Mm. But we forget to go through all the steps from childhood and all the weird roller coaster ups and downs that it actually takes you to figure all that out. So I love to go back to the very, very beginning. And I mean, even the fact that you weren't born flex mummy you are looking at yeah. the Hankin.
1: <laughs> Said perfectly too. I love that.
0: <laughs> you know, what were you like as a child? What did you think lay ahead in your future? Was it anything close to what actually it turned out to be? And- I think also just in light of the last couple of weeks in particular, tell us about your experience as a Ghanaian woman who's of Ghanaian heritage but born in Australia. So that whole where did you come from question I can't even, <laughs> I can't even imagine what that was like for you.
1: Yeah. Tell us tell us about young Lil. I guess it's important to start from a place where my understanding of myself was quite conscious and I say that happened in high school before then I'm sure I was just an empty shell who did as I was told and latched onto whatever was popular but I remember in about let's say year nine is that I started high school a bit young so I think I was 14 in year nine and that was the year I just became really really hyper obsessed with like subgenres and having fitting into a stereotype. I guess it's because I consumed a lot of American TV, as most Australians do, and stereotypes are littered throughout all of your media. Like you are in a certain group, you are emo, you're goth, you're in the rap group, you're an athlete, you're this and that and so on and so forth. And I love the fact that within those settings, having or identifying as a member of the group gave you purpose and identity and a way to behave and a way to connect. And being um, how do I explain it like as a young person, there's so much I knew I could be, but I didn't have the infrastructure to do more than what was sort of available to me. I acutely remember in year nine, I went to an all girls public high school, and in year nine, everybody was wearing the same white volley trainers, the same <laughs> belt from Super A, the same tiny champion bag, the same skirt rolled up and cut too short. There was no room to to express yourself outside of the norm because that was the norm. That was the one stereotype. And if you (laughs) were anything but, you were unnecessarily shunning yourself. And so I remember I made a really close friend and we just decided that between the two of us, we would just do the thing. And so I latched quite heavily onto being like a little pop punk emo scene girl. And that was my identity purely because I liked the music and I liked, you know, the culture. The skateboards and the guitars and the way you could do your makeup and your hair. It was so exciting. And it was fine because once you dressed a certain way, it was very easy for people to identify with you. But what I didn't understand is that how you dressed and what they identified with could be negative. They were like, are you sad? I was like, no. I just (laughs) like the way I look, they're like, oh, it's really hard to identify with. So for context, and this might not mean anything to people who don't care about astrology, but I am an Aquarius moon. I'm an Aries sun. So Aquarius. Pisces rising, girl. Ah, Pisces rising. What that means about me is that I have a preoccupation with being and feeling unique and special. Like, my idea is the first off, Nobody gets me. Like, how I see the world is so specific that you just wouldn't even get it if I explained it. <laughs> now I can say that with a level of self awareness, but as a, like a, a tween, I was latching on to things that were so far outside of my norm. Because I guess in hindsight, I was really afraid of being seen as other, just naturally. So if I put myself in positions where I was other on purpose, then I was taking control of that narrative. Yes. Because I knew exactly the connotations with what I was choosing to identify as. I knew exactly the people that would identify with me. And I could sit quite heavily into that. That's so interesting. Um, and so that isn't it right? hindsight and so that was fine until we get to about year 10 or year 11 and I'm exposing myself to you know other young people who are from different areas of Sydney because I went to a public girls high school that was attached to a public boys high school which meant that we just kind of integrated within each other though it was the eastern suburbs which is quite stereotypically known as an affluent area that's very white it was multicultural in its own way like I wasn't I might have been the only black girl, or like one of two, but there were people of multiple ethnicities that it was expected that people had another culture, another language to speak, and that was all fine. It wasn't until I got until exposing myself to other schools that I was like, "Whoa!" you have quite stereotypical views of me and the people that I hang out with, like the people who would make the black joke and make the Asian joke and be like, Oh, that's so crazy. And so I thought, okay, like we're getting to a point where what my mom ha- and my family had kind of, uh, quote unquote warned me about, uh, was coming to fruition. And I remember there was a stage in like my early adolescent development that when I was transitioning to high school, My mum was saying to me, you know, people can be a little bit, you know, forward and a bit rude and you might be put in situations where people ask you about what you look like and where you're from. Mm. Now, this I could not comprehend. What do you mean, mum? You don't get it. (laughs) Like, it's not like that anymore. People aren't going to do that, mum. She's like, I know you might not see it now and maybe you might not see it ever, but just be mindful that you're in a position where you are a bit different from the people around you. Ugh. So I doubled down. I'm like, I'm not different. I'm Australian. I like Vegemite. You don't know me. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so it, it was this weird like parallel of like being no, being visibly different by choice, but also just being visibly different just by nature that I couldn't, that I was struggling to comprehend, you know? And so I just remember there was this one time, I always say there was one time in about year 10 and it was multicultural day um, in my high school. And my teacher was asking me what I'd be wearing from my culture, in my head, I'm Australian. That's what I know. <laughs> I'm dressing
0: um, as a piece of fairy bread.
1: Exactly. Okay. <laughs> and also, it, it wasn't a mandatory exercise to dress as, as somewhere from your culture because many people didn't identify as having a culture. So I said, I'm going to wear these new American Apparel disco pants. I've got some new Doc Martens. There's this plaid shirt I got. I love it. Whatever, whatever. And they were like, no, like from where you're from. And I was like, I just i 'm not i'm not processing, mm. and so going back to my mum and trying to understand like what does she mean what do they mean like i don 't understand i 'm this i 'm that, and whatever and so I think i 've always to a point had some sort of identity crisis, but it wasn 't rooted in being culturally different until adulthood where people were a lot more forthcoming you know with what they felt about the way it looked but as a young person I guess I was just I was a bit of a sponge like I was ready to absorb and absorb and absorb and absorb and absorb and I think I was happy for my my appearance to do the speaking for me because I didn't feel like I was the most um, articulate person. I didn't feel like I had the range to speak on a lot of topics. I was never, of course I was in gifted and talented classes, but when you're in high school, so is everybody. It doesn't really mean that you have any academic prowess, any ability to critically think. I almost failed my fucking ATAR, which is that thing you do at the (laughs) end of year 12. (laughs) I got like 56. So, I mean, and I was creative, but I, in so many ways, I was just a bit of a wayward child. Like, not bad, but not really that good either. Yeah. I mean, I was the type of person who was... Of course, I was integrating with people who, like, drank and did drugs, but I didn't do it, you know? So it was this constant dual identity of, like, being in it but not amongst it, understanding it but not being able to speak about it. You know, my culture, myself, my identity, so convoluted. I truly believe that if I wasn't, if I didn't end up in a position where I was front-facing and was expected or presumed to know things, I would never have gotten to a point where I appreciated knowing things and being able to articulate and whatever, whatever. That's why I can kind of sympathize with people who don't have incentive to also know things yeah. because the world doesn't really ask it of you. Yeah. You're just allowed to exist and be. And then one day somebody says, hey, Flex, so what do you think about cultural appropriation? And I say, oh, I don't care. <laughs> and they say, oh, but... I was reading on the internet that you should ask, you know, the black people around you and they'll tell you. And I'm asking you and you don't know. Yeah, I don't know. So. Yeah, what can I tell you? (laughs) I don't know. I'm sorry. It's not my interest. Oh, my (laughs) god! I'm not an activist.
0: (laughs) I mean, that's already just that, you know, first 10 minutes of this conversation or 20 minutes or whatever it's been has already been one of the sort of deepest reflections that I've had in a long time in a conversation about the different layers of identity and narratives and culture and the intersection of, all the facets of your identity that aren't also that they're not always ethnicity based. Like most teenagers mm-hmm. and young people go through a loss and that wayward stage of who am I? Am I loud? Am I quiet? Am I an emo? Am I like the sappreh gal Am I eastern suburbs or western suburbs? And yeah, I've, you're not the first person by any means who I've spoken to recently. In fact, our last guest was an Indigenous Australian Olympian, and I sort of expected this narrative to come out of I was bullied when I was younger, you know, racism and questions and. She basically didn't even realize she was Aboriginal until she was in high school. And, you know, it was (laughs) like, oh, okay, well, I've left all this time for this particular narrative that we're going to talk about. Mm -hmm. and But I loved reading in interviews that you've done before that where are you from in high school was more like, what part of Sydney are you from? Absolutely. That was, it was not, you know, you haven't had this narrative everyone's describing to you of... (laughs) What was it like being black growing up in Australia? Like that was probably not the biggest angst that you were necessarily going through as a teenage girl being like, it's all the other things that you're worried about. That's exactly it.
1: And I, I feel as though it's the reason why I fought against leaning into certain conversations because they were all sort of based on a foundation of a really specific narrative mm. where, you know, it must have been hard. You must have struggled to assimilate. You know, it must have been difficult. It's like, no, it wasn't. Like, it really <laughs> wasn't. And I also think I carried a certain naivety about the way black people might have been perceived that when people were asking questions or being a bit offensive I wasn't processing Mm. you know I was like surely I mean maybe they said that I look like a monkey because maybe I do maybe it's not a racial thing you know it's like that's (laughs) the way your mind works because you're not exposed to these things and so as you begin to develop your understanding of the way identity is so pervasive and of the way that people subconsciously attribute certain characteristics and personalities to you purely because of the way you appear to them mm. it becomes a way more nuanced conversation I, that's why these days i worry about the way people are introduced to having these conversations because it, 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 there is no one homogenous black experience yeah there's barely a homogenous black australian experience even if we were to to dwindle it down to the black australian heterosexual female experience nah it's not homogeneous and so when these conversations happen and people are said you know to quite literally do this this is how you should show your support this is how you should show your interest this is what you should do in order to be a good ally or a well-versed person or you know an emotionally aware person and suddenly it's not being received by the people that you're meant to be doing it for Mm. then you're in this tricky territory of being like well wait hold on, I don't even understand the problem. Yeah, Wait, I like, what do they actually go through? And like, huh? Yeah,
0: totally. <laughs>
1: I don't think I get it. And I I think I had a similar conversation a few weeks ago, not I think I know, where somebody had said to me, you know, I, I find it hard to comprehend that black people are so, you know, marginalized or they're like, They're thought of as being less than in any circumstance because all the black people that I'm aware of or exposed to are celebrities, are affluent, rich. People with power. Mm. So I don't, I can't fathom that the same people are now talking about how oppressed they are. And I was like, wow, this is part of the issue. If your only exposure to a certain type of person is through a very specific lens, then how can you fathom? You should be able to. I think that's a very generic skill that most people should be able to do to perceive Mm. things that they can't actually taste, see, feel, and touch. Yeah. And if you're not an intuitive person, maybe that's not something that's very easy for you to do. But for the rest of us, like, I can quite easily sympathise with what it is to be a white man without being one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's very easy. Seems a bit difficult these days.
0: <laughs> but I also think it's, yeah, it's so interesting how so much of the dialogue has been assuming that experiences are really homogenous and then you actually get into a conversation and most of the things you assume are going to be the things you talk about aren't and actually for a lot of people their ethnicity is such a small I mean it's Mm. it's been a big part of their experience and it's been a big part of what other people project onto them as part of their identity but for them personally they're like actually my ethnicity is not the biggest thing it's not my biggest feature Mm. like I don't know why you all insist on making the conversation about that when (laughs) like even you know Talika I had on last week and I really wanted to cover a lot about Indigenous Australia and her experience in the community because I wanted to make the episode an opportunity for education for people who hadn't had as much exposure to the Aboriginal community or what her journey might have been like. And she was sort of like, it's really not a big part of my journey. Like it's it's a huge part of my identity. I'm really, really proud of it. I have experienced good and bad from it. But I also am an athlete. I went to the Olympics. Like that's, mm-hmm. I don't see it Absolutely. as. Absolutely,
1: I could imagine.
0: And so on that note about the other facets of our identity, I think the other thing that's been really interesting about knowing you is you come across now as so clear on your thoughts and so self-aware with hindsight on all those different stages of your journey and now occupy such a unique part of society but I love that you're aware that you you've found your right balance between conformity and uniqueness and you mm-hmm. sit exactly where is comfortable for you but I love also that to remind everyone that even the most sure of people and even the most different and taboo breaking of people you have to sort of start somewhere you know you started Absolutely. quite conventional like I was reading you worked at Zoo Shoes in 2012 in PR and I'm like literally Flex was
1: it an office like I don't in a, no, in a understand <laughs> at, at one point I was like you know that girl who went to uni in heels and a full face of makeup because I wanted to Stop. present for the job that I wanted <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Like I was like, you went to Maclay College. I mean, mm-hmm. we've had a Maclay graduate on a couple of weeks ago. And I'm like, I just can't imagine you now having gone through all those phases, but you had to. So of course. tell us about coming into your full voice and those early days when you couldn't be as different as you wanted to be, and it wouldn't have been as well received. And also you didn't necessarily know what your voice was then. So was it as you went out of PR and then into DJing that that happened? Or was it before? Like, when did that all unravel?
1: Yeah. So I can recall perhaps, you know, 11, year 11, year 12 and graduating high school. That in itself was a very accelerated identity evolution because suddenly I was becoming more and more aware of how I was being perceived. I wasn't liking it. I didn't know the right words or phrases to attribute to what I was feeling or what was being done to me. Yeah, of course, people aren't racist, but can they really say they didn't expect me to speak English? Like, is that not offensive? Am I being too... So it was just recalibration. And I guess because growing up in the eastern suburbs and then you know, having the majority of the black community living in the Western suburbs, my only kind of access to them was through church. And I stopped going to church as like a 13, 14 year old. Cause I was like, I don't like love spirituality. I don't know if I can do the church thing. <laughs> I can imagine you saying it exactly like
0: that in your own mind. <laughs> not sure I can do this church thing anymore, guys.
1: Yeah. It's Mm-mm. not for me. So <laughs> as I was beginning to grow older and I understand that my identity was inherently black and African but not having a varied access point or a touch point to experience that I had my mum's very warped sense of view not warped but warped from mine because she came here 30 something years ago but she had to be in a refugee detention center like she had to really Mm. work her way up to be seen as you know an equal in a lot of spaces and then my brothers being too African men, you know, one being born here, but one being born in Ghana, also having firsthand access to what it's like to be seen as othered, Because the experience of black men, I'm sure in a lot of cases, is a bit more volatile than the experience of black women. You know, Mm -hmm. the stereotypes black women can, of course, be, be dangerous, but they're more so petty whereas the ones of black men really remove them from certain environments because oh no you might rob me you might steal something from me you might rape me it's just too much mm. so <laughs> it was yeah an accelerated part of uh my learning where I did this thing where I kind of shed my skin in the sense that I took away all the stuff that I was trying to use as a buffer to the real meme. So that means that I had to stop dressing so overtly emo because it really wasn't my identity and I was over enthusing it. Yeah. So we had to stop with the platform, stop with the black lipstick, <laughs> stop with the black eyeliner, <laughs> stop with the scene hair and all of it, right? So when I took that part off, I was left with a blank canvas and I thought this is a good opportunity to see that if I presented as someone who was more conventionally, conventional, Would that change my experience? And so I just started dressing normal as an Aquarius moon would. So that meant, (laughs) you know hairstyled every day beautiful extensions in full face of makeup you know full outfit heels handbag clack 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 (laughs) clack making a point making a scene oh I could never wear jeans I could never wear a t-shirt I'm just too business focused for that I'm so professional (laughs) I'm just too professional to ever be comfortable that's not in my point of thinking obviously not obviously not so spending about 18 to I'd say 20 being that person and also So now seeing that the way I was presenting, even though I thought it was bland and blank, was also projecting an identity. You know, it was maybe segregating me from feeling like I was um, approachable or personable because it wasn't. Like walking into a a uni and being like, clack, 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 hey everyone. (laughs) (laughs) I put my hand back down. (laughs) It's not accessible. And so again, I moved out of that space and I remember being in PR and – I could feel like I was going to push myself into hyper-identifying as the PR girl yeah. and wearing what they wore and speaking how they spoke and thinking what they thought because I didn't have space and time to step away and identify. Well, if I don't want to be seen as these people, what am I comfortable being seen as? Yeah. Because I still wasn't in a space where I could show my natural hair. People would know I was black. Couldn't do that, right? <laughs> Surprise, As Lil! It wasn't completely visible, you know, I, I certainly can't go to Ghana and see my extended family. People will know that I'm not Australian. Do you know, that is so interesting. I've had that exact
0: same thing where yeah. I went through a phase of like complete denial of being Asian. Like, mm-hmm. and I, I don't know what part of my brain was like, it's... <laughs> It's not obvious. It makes sense. It's a secret. Like no <laughs> one <never> knows. Know.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny to laugh about now because it's so ludicrous. But as you just said, it's not an uncommon thing.
0: Yeah. So yeah. people
1: who are visibly different to do. And so I had to think to myself: Oh, if I'm so hell bent on not being seen as that person, then who is this person? What can we settle back into? Interestingly enough, at the time I was in PR and I th- I was just in a weird spot where I was giving too much of myself to a job and I was tying all of my self-worth into my career and because it's not something that I was really interested in and it's something that really required everything that you had, I just felt so depleted all the time. Mm. And I thought maybe I wouldn't feel depleted if I had anything else going for me any interest any hobbies (laughs) any way to express myself and at the time you know being 20 all of my friends were still going out getting pissed or whatever but I did the binge drinking thing from 15 to 18 but didn't ever learn how to socially drink so I was going out not drinking being really sober being like fuck this is so boring (laughs) and I thought I love the environment I love getting dressed up I love having access to this but I I like I want to be here with a purpose I would love to like be a door girl like get paid hang out whatever so that's what I did right and the promoters that I met ran this um club night that was called side change and it was not a normal club night because that's not where an Aquarius moon would want to go to obviously it was a club night that was made for and by internet kids and if you can imagine it's 2012 2011 and so it's a time where you know dressing like the internet was big we were wearing like cool platform boots and holographic and you know (laughs) oh Oh, my god I forgot about that (gasps) remember and like having weird hair and just being a little bit weird you know but it was expected to see it on the internet but we were bringing it to a real life space and then suddenly before I knew it I was wrapped up in being this club kid you know, dressing, skin, skin, heels, heels, platform boots, like crazy makeup, crazy hair. I'm just crazy, (laughs) unique girl. (laughs) And again, before I knew, I was just settling into another identity because I just didn't know who I was or how I wanted to be perceived. And at the time identifying or looking as though I was a club kid was very beneficial. Mm. We were the coolest. We were the most connected. <laughs> we had clout. We had the
0: VIPs who go <laughs> yeah. straight to the
1: front of the line. Whoa. Legitimately.
0: <laughs> I remember those days where I was like, I'm just going to wear my belt as a skirt because, 100%. like, I will get in and I'll just be a club ride and I'll be amazing.
1: 100%. <laughs> and it was such a time. And so it was in that period where I then – started DJing and then transitioned from, you know, a a girl who DJed to being a full-time DJ. And then (laughs) you grow a little bit older and suddenly realize you just don't want to be like dressing up like a, a literal, like, whatever we looked like anymore it just (laughs) it was getting to a point where I was having to wear a quote-unquote normal outfit out of the house and pack a a separate change of clothes in my bag because I didn't want to get abused on the train or in the uber to the club and it was all too much (laughs) and so I had an, it wasn't an epiphany, but kind of a waking up moment where I, it always happened when I look at my wardrobe and feel like it doesn't reflect me because I've spent all this money and time really trying to be somebody different. Mm. And it was, it kind of coincided with being, being a DJ and getting PR for that. And also being like, fuck, I just don't want to be seen as that club kid, club kid, club kid, because then it, it's like. Club kid ethics were thrown onto me and club kid conversations and I didn't know or care about them. And so I made a kind of vow to just be because I was finally in a position where um, being a DJ, you can imagine like you're kind of given, how do I explain it? You, it's just a clouty kind of job people assume you're like <laughs> cool smart like aware like you're creative you're all of these things and so I thought finally I'm in a position where how I'm being perceived matches how I feel about myself so it's up to me to sort of do the extra groundwork and so dressing how I felt and wearing what I wanted and speaking what I felt were all part of that process you could only do so much intentionally because I mean you you have to, in some cases, change the way you operate overnight for you to really do it. Yeah. And and so I didn't know what I was doing, but I just definitely knew that there was a way that I wanted to be perceived and it had to match what I felt. And to every conversation, I had to get away from being that charming Aries who's just down for a chat and is always here to tell the story and just say, how do I feel like I want to operate in this space? What feels most aligned? And I think that it was easy for me to do that and to settle into being myself because I was in a position in my life where I was finally given room to. Yeah. Like, wow, if you're the DJ, it means that you have the answers. You've moved from a traditional job to an unconventional job. You live in your own apartment. You do what you want. You've made money from being yourself. You must have the vision. You've got, the, you've got it all. And I didn't, but now suddenly I had space where I could figure it out you know? Absolutely. And so it all had to be super conscious. And I remember there was this time when I was 18, right? And I had just, uh, was one year out of high school. And I remember I was going to TAFE to study fashion business, just because I thought that if you liked clothes, you should work in fashion. <laughs> so I would go to TAFE like every other day and not listen, not apply myself, just fuck around and there was one time where I thought okay I have assessments and shit I should just go to the library role play academia and then I'll get some work done didn't happen took a phone call was walking up and down the um the library what do you call them aisles are they aisles I guess so and I remember sort of like <laughs> randomly stopping in the self-development area because the conversation had gotten to a juicy point where I couldn't walk and talk it was far too complicated oh my god yeah I absolutely was- <laughs> I know it it's
0: like this critical point where you're like I can't use my energy on my
1: legs no, no I must listen And I remember running my fingers through the spines of the book and then picking up just a random blue one that I was flipping through to do something with my hands as I was listening because it was a listening conversation for me, not a speaking one. Mm -hmm. I needed something to keep me engaged. And by the end of the conversation, I was like walking out of the library and just took this book with me. Didn't even think about it really, just took it. (laughs) Nothing beeped, which is odd, but you know, it is what it is.
0: Because it's an honor system, babe. I mean.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I get on the train and the book is like, it's like how to understand people by understanding yourself. A book by Florence Littauer or something, right? And it was a book all about personality archetypes and the way that every individual person, as unique as they may be, falls into an archetype just naturally because- we're conditioned to do so by our environment and society. And I thought it was just the coolest thing. And so, and, and also in high school, I was really into the Myers-Briggs personality typing thing. I used to yes. do it on everyone because, you know, while I couldn't figure out who I was, I made it my main priority to figure out who everybody else was. I get you. You're this. You're an INTJ. I see it. You're one dimensional to me. Don't even worry about having it. Like, I really thought I knew. And so fast forward into adulthood, I started to go back to that. I thought if I'm really struggling to see who I am without looking at it through the lens of everybody else, what would happen if I just used a system that would reflect my answers back at me? And that would be a really good starting point to figure out who this bitch is. And it (laughs) helped because suddenly I was like, oh, yeah. Like, okay, I guess I, I do – I am really concerned about being valued and expressing my value is really important and having my value being seen is very important. It makes sense why I go into environments and want to be – want to feel like I'm in a position where if I was to express myself, I'd be hurt. That is important. What else?
0: Oh, <laughs> uh, man. I honestly am like, firstly, how are you 25? Because most people hit this, like, critical point, if ever, in, like – their 50s and 60s, which is why it's called a midlife crisis because they've had this one identity Mm. their whole life. But you've done (laughs) the work. You've done the work like before your quarter life crisis, which is incredible. (laughs) But also it's so interesting you said before how you looked at your wardrobe and you were like, this doesn't reflect who I am. I think that's on a broader, it's like a broader metaphor for life where people step Mm. back and they look at their life and they're like, this doesn't fit me. Like what we spend so much time being some other person and really there are actually a lot of tools and you can create the space for yourself in your life to wipe the slate clean and do the work as we call it and do this exercise that you did to sort of now be exactly who you are unapologetically Mm. and not feel such a dissonance between what your life reflects about you and who you actually are.
1: Absolutely. And there's a level of – I mean, personality typing only created a foundation for me to work on top of. It was when I had uncovered this – the idea of critical thinking that really – it just really connected the dots for me because I guess once you get into the point where you, like, understand who you are and you're self-aware enough to know how you appear and whatever – there is a gap because self awareness isn't just what you do; it's why you do it, what influences mm-hmm. why you do it, why you're made aware of it, all of these things. And I guess I was back to square one, but just in a more elevated way. Absolutely. Where instead of really exploring what it meant to feel like myself, I was now latching onto. But I, I'm an ANTP, and my archetype is you know. Enneagram and, three, to,
0: the performer. Yes, I'm an
1: Enneagram three, wing two. <laughs> and then you're like, okay, yeah, these things are all true, but what am, what's my belief system? What's my moral code? Do I have ethics? Do I actually care about anything? What do I feel? <laughs> and and to, for the most point, I mean, I'm personally someone that my I care about very few things and I, I definitely think that when you're in a position of influence, the world wants you to care about everything, right? You got to care about the environment, about the animals, about people, about experiences, about the system, about status. And it's like, I can be aware, I can be highly educated on certain things and not fundamentally care. And that for me creates a lot of space to to put extra effort into what really matters to me. Uh, and, And understanding who I am actually matters because it's been the cornerstone of why I can do any of anything, right? It's the reason why I can get paid to just tell people what I think. <laughs> because I've really <laughs> taken time to figure out that what I think matters yeah. and how I think about things matters and how I express myself matters and my opinion matters. And unfortunately, not everybody's does. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: but that's so interesting as well that I think that's probably what I've been on the cusp of realizing for myself as well is I've always been a bit of an overcarer and realized that that actually dilutes my potential impact if I just really more selectively chose the things that I gave a fuck about. And like I had Mark Manson on a couple of weeks ago and reread his book in reflecting on his whole idea of, you know, the subtle of not giving a fuck doesn't mm. mean be indifferent and apathetic and like don't care about anything no. but it means just choose like there's mm-hmm. a limited amount of energy and time and a limited amount of other people's attention towards what you have to say so like maybe be a bit more selective you can't mm-hmm. be the ambassador for everything in life but you can have a huge impact on the things that you choose really carefully and I love that about you because you kind of give us all permission to be like I actually am okay with caring about the things I Care about giving my all to those things and everything else someone else can do I love that
1: absolutely it's because I fundamentally care about self-awareness and fundamentally care about critical thinking and learning and articulating myself that I am this person and I feel as though when people are asking for insight on to you know expand their view of the world and to be able to really understand what they think and why they think it it's it's a performance because mm. it feels good for people to know that you know. Yeah. But in reality, it takes so much time, so much effort, so much introspection that if you don't really care, then don't do it because it's not beneficial to you or anybody around you. And then you fall into that trap of the person who's self-aware of all the ways they are a menace to society. Yeah. Oh, I'm so annoying every time I go on a date with someone, like I'm just so unengaged because I just want to get through. This. That's not cute. Like, <laughs> 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 we don't need to know that you know she's like oh I'm so terrible like I love the environment I really do and I always get mad at people for buying fast fashion but I will never use a keep cup <laughs> huh <laughs> people always say like people say these things and I've literally overheard like, it, this doesn't add up you don't have to be this way <laughs> oh my god I love it so literally
0: when I first bought this the very first reflex card that I put out of the packet this was like maybe last year, was would you rather be hated for who you are or loved for who you aren't? And it's just Mm -hmm. like fundamentally one of the most important questions anyone can ask themselves. And I love how you have been a shedder of the skin and have worn many skins because that's exactly what, a way to your journey is, is you mm. don't, I always say, you know, you don't have to see the the whole staircase to take the first step. You probably at each of those steps would never have known that you'd end up a professional opinion haver who actually gets paid to do the stuff you really, really care about and love, but that's where you ended up. And it took exactly. a lot of steps to get there, but now you are, you know, you're a, what do you call yourself? A multidisciplinary millennial in media. You're, that's her. Uh, that's her MTV presenter, Bobo and Flex podcast, beauty guru. You are co founder of Flex Factory. Like, there's just so many things now and so many ways that you are doing exactly what you love and exactly what is you. But I love how openly you remind us all that, like, you don't wake up like that.
1: No. And also, it's just not for everyone. <laughs> I feel <laughs> it's very easy to have a very stylized and idealized view of the way somebody does what they do. But none of this shit is easy. Like, it's easy Mm. for me because I enjoy it. But fundamentally, any form of improving, developing, upskilling, evolving, transforming is hard shit. Absolutely. (laughs) And if you don't have to do it, and if it's not going to be something that you are committed to doing, then don't even worry about it. I mean, the question... (laughs) Would you rather be hated for who you are and loved for who you, who you aren't is such a cliche because I don't think the average person is acutely aware of how they move through the world begging for approval. Yeah. Because it really is important to be, to be felt as though you're liked and loved. Mm. And it's really interesting because when I play that game or when I answer that question with people, they always assume I, I prefer to be hated for who I am. Fuck no. <laughs> you know how terrible it is to be on the receiving end of anything but like acceptance and warmth. I'm not a crusader. Like I'm not trying to be the person who is the uh, the antagonist, you know, the one who's just like the anarchist who's doing things and it's what I want to do and if no no. Mm. I'm acutely aware of how good it feels. To be put on a pedestal or projected upon in a positive way. And I'm quite comfortable with that because I always know I'm never going to be in a position where I can go to each individual person that has access to me and explain them exactly who I am Mm. and the way I want to be seen. It doesn't matter. And I don't really care. (laughs) Like, just give me the good shit because I... I motivated by pleasure and leisure and feeling good mm. and being loved. Like, that's fun. Not being mad.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. And I think another thing that really stands out and why you have the longevity and support that you do in what you do, even though if other people were as sort of taboo breaking or open about things that make other people uncomfortable is because it's clear that you're not doing it just to be controversial. Yeah. You know, you know it's clear that you're not just like, I'm just going to like cause a fuss here. Like, <laughs> I'm just going to say shit that makes people uncomfortable because it's fun. Like you do yeah, it because no. you care about sexual liberation and you care about education of, you know, people about topics they wouldn't normally engage in and you do it so well.
1: hundred percent. And it's an interesting way to put it because I f- now we're in this time where of like, what do I call it? I don't know, like radical... We're just in a very radical time at the moment. And and Mm. people are getting thrust into evolution prematurely. You know, yesterday you weren't aware of the way black lives were disproportionately affected to other lives, but today you are and suddenly you wanna be an activist. It literally cannot happen overnight because your ability to understand can't be fully evolved in a night. And and what we see is like you said, this it's not even contro- people aren't trying to be controversial in the sense of like, let me jump on, but there's this definitely their motivation doesn't match with their actions and it doesn't ever feel genuine. And I feel like we are in a time of performative everything, performative mm. activism, performative relatability, performative understanding, performative normalhood. I too have depression, I too cry. I too, I, and it's like, we get it. But if you spent half that time just trying to better communicate who you are and the expectations of you, then maybe you wouldn't be bullied for not advocating for certain groups. And maybe you wouldn't feel pressure to show mm. that you are a keep cup using environmentally <laughs> conscious so and so. You know, people always use that annoying cliche phrase. It's like moving through the world with intention and blah, blah, blah. But it so matters. It is in your best bet and it's in your best interest to figure out who you are, and how you want to be perceived so you can start living a life on your own terms. Mm. Everybody always says to me, you're so lucky that you can, like, have a platform when you, like, do what you want and say how you feel. It wasn't luck. Going against the grain isn't beneficial until it is, you know? Like, these things weren't well received just because I did it. You don't see the DMs and be like, oh, you're just like a DJ, stick to what you know, don't talk about these things, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and suddenly it's like, oh, can we borrow your mind? Here's a consulting fee. There's, it, there's a process, you know. Oh my gosh, and don't yeah. stress yourself out if you're not here for the long haul. I'm not saying not to give things a go and see how they fit, but also if we all cumulatively spent just an extra few minutes a day critically thinking, assessing what we do, why we do it, what impacted what we're doing, and what we really think the benefit is of anything that we're doing. Because we all have an agenda. Mm. We all have agendas. Mm. It's just a matter of a lot of us aren't aren't really aware of why we do the things we do. As soon as you can get down to the, the nooks and crannies, you start to feel free. Oh, them
0: nooks and, <laughs> and Suddenly cranny. you're
1: just like, Ugh, I, I know why I do this. I know I can comfortably say that I do care about things and I don't care about things. I have agency because I've given myself that agency. Mm. Nobody said, hey, Flex. Now we think it's appropriate that you can speak about things you care about. I did it anyway. (laughs) Yeah, no, but that's actually such
0: a good point because with anyone who's doing something different in any way, like even just like, you know, technological innovation or product innovation or thought innovation in your case, it is really unpopular and controversial until it's not but someone has to go through that bit first which is why I love to go back to the very beginning when you weren't able to be as freely yourself and probably didn't know who that was anyway but yeah you, you couldn't have been born into the world flex mommy as you are now it just wouldn't you know that's not how people's journeys go and that's not how change is generated and that's not how unique voices in society develop you have to go through all the conformity and then you have to go through it all to actually make get the trust and build the voice that you have today I don't think luck I mean I think luck is a part of the journey for you know everyone but I think most of it is that you're a damn hard worker and you are willing to just put yourself on the line while you explored all these parts of yourself and now you've earned where you are to be able to be a professional opinion haver because you've spend so long working on your opinion
1: that's it I always, it's, it's interesting because i tell people to like it's all about assessing what actually works for you because mm. i speak to my boyfriend about this sometime he's kind of like i think i like could do what you do i'm like yeah you are a risk analyst You work in finance. Mm -hmm. Everything you do is binary. There, There is a way it needs to be done for the best possible outcome and you don't stray. And there's a reason you don't because all the risk analysts before you have proved that this is the best way to do so. What we do, commodifying ourselves, is very risky. I feel like people forget that people aren't inherently likable. You know, like not everyone can be in a position where they not only sell themselves, their personality, their interests, their beliefs. The way those dots need to connect, the way you need to be so acutely aware of how you're perceived and what spaces you can enter. I definitely wouldn't say it's rocket science, (laughs) but it's just not simple work. And often if you had to outweigh the benefits, uh, the pros and the cons... This industry is riddled with cons. Mm. Even the idea of every week jumping on to express how you feel and then being tied to those ideas. Absurd. So absurd. Absurd. So absurd. (laughs) And yet we do it because we can and because we're comfortable with what we're saying and how we're saying it. I'll be the first person to say tomorrow, oh, you know, I take it back. I don't really, I don't really uh, subscribe to those beliefs. But there's a certain confidence in being able to do so. If you don't have that, then practice. Yeah, It's the small things. The next time you go to a restaurant and somebody asks you, how was that? Let them know. Yeah. I really did enjoy myself. You know, I thought the, the juice came out a little bit late, but I enjoyed <laughs> myself. The next time your <laughs> friend asks you, You know how'd you feel about um, me inviting my boyfriend to your birthday, babe? I prefer you didn't. Like I haven't seen you in a minute. It's just been. It would be really nice to connect with you one on one or one on nine with the other girls coming. Mm. These are all ways you you start to fortify you know, who you are. You can't be Mr. and Mrs. Passive and then wonder why you're not in a position where articulation comes naturally to you. What are you talking about? What do you mean? So
0: (laughs) such valuable reflections for so many people who I think are sort of Mr. and Mrs. Passive and then are like wondering why they don't have the platform then to express themselves or the language. Mm. So now that you do have so many different outlets and, and, are living a slashy life (laughs) what are your favorite ways to be flex is it do you still DJ I know you do it every now and then you'll come out and do a big event is it the podcast is it your beauty work is it the flex factory and the products is it your renovations that you've been doing or your like DIY you know paint jobs like what is lighting you up the most at the moment
1: I'd say it's every time I can wake up and do exactly what I want to because I want to. Mm. And it is a privilege in itself. And I assumed it's a privilege I would have far sooner in my life. I know hubris, it happens. But (laughs) so many times, I mean, when I transitioned from full-time work to freelance, I thought, oh, I'm going to work whenever I want to, do whatever I want. And then you're like, oh, no, like I actually need to be generating ideas, income, all the time. And the days where I can just say, oh, I do have emails and I have work, but I'm literally going to get in my car and drive to the farm and like vibe out. You know, all the day where I'm like, you know, I am just going to make something because I want to. I won't even share it because I don't have to. And so much about what I am learning to value in my life is just remaining really in the most cliche way, true to myself. Like really identifying what really makes my life worth living because Mm. I'm a duty fulfiller. I will do what I have to and what needs to be done over what I want to do at At any day. But taking back my agency is just my favorite thing. Because it means that I haven't lost myself again. It means that I'm still really aware of who I want, who I want to be and who I am. And the things that will kind of make me want to continue living. I can't feel like there's a void for the rest of my life. I want to get to the point where I'm like, oh, this is all just enough. And uh, finding ways to give myself agency is just working towards contentment. Be like, I know exactly what it is that makes me happy. I know exactly what it is that makes me feel fulfilled. And sometimes I don't, but I'm (laughs) (laughs) sure.
0: I also find that a side effect of being hyper self aware and constantly open minded to learning and growth and analysis of yourself and the way that you do things also is kind of really damn exhausting because you're having double the amount of thoughts as a normal person. You're having your thoughts and then you're thinking about your thoughts. And Mm -hmm. I find that I'm so prone to burnout because of the amount of self-reflection that I do. How do you manage that? Your energy when you're constantly, I mean, everyone wants a piece of flex, but you also are reflecting on all the different ways that you're expressing yourself. Like how do you find moments of peace and then not physically and emotionally just burn out?
1: It's tricky cuz burnout really is my vocation. Like yeah, it's me too. It's just what I, I do and I do it well and for the longest time I was really aspiring for conventional balance, being able to just do a bit here and then not do too much and really manage my energy. It's not happening. It's not something that I know how to do really well. I naturally do a lot and then do nothing, do a lot and then do nothing, which was also affirmed by the time that I went to go see a celebrity astrologer and she was looking at my chart and she was like, yep, yeah, like you're so lucky. Yep, yeah, you really know how to articulate. So, ooh, yeah, I'm really seeing you're going to have to really be mindful of burnout. That's just <sighs> something that's going to, I'm like, sis, say no more. I already know. <laughs> what I need to be do is what I need to be do. Language, it's tricky. What I need to do for myself is less about how to eradicate burnout, And more about how to be more aware of when it's coming and what activities I do that are burnout inducing. So Mm. I know for me, what really pushes me over the edge is when I'm not being understood, when I'm doing things out of obligation, when people are prioritizing themselves and exploiting me. So that's when someone's saying like, you do this, do this thing you don't want to do, but it's for a certain amount of money. No, like no, (laughs) because I didn't. I'm not (laughs) doing all of this to be now tied to an arbitrary system like money. It's nice and I'll take it, but also don't use that as a tool to guide me like I'm a dog on a leash. It's not happening. So if I can sort of mitigate the areas of my life that push me towards, you know, overstimulation, over exhaustion, over outputting then that's much better and I can kind of get to a burnout stage that's easier to manage, Mm. that I'm not manic and, you know, fully emotional, feeling anxious and super depressed. I'm like, oh, you know what? I just need a break. And that's fine.
0: Oh, my gosh. I think if all of us were aware enough to list what those sort of depleting activities were, everyone would be so much healthier. For real. But the other thing that I think comes on the flip side of that is the last section, which is called Play TA, and that's the part where we strip back all the aspects of our identities and just do what purely brings you joy, what's not obligation-based, what I think isn't even learning or Or productive outcome based, which is really hard for people like me who just like want to win at stuff and like get better and like progress.
1: What are the things? Wait, are you an Enneagram three as well? Yeah. (gasps) Yeah. And I'm an Aries. Like it's, yeah, we are the same.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But we're we're manically focused on self-improvement and reflection and betterment, which means that I will constantly be in a place of chronic fatigue unless I make time actively and religiously make myself play and do things that make me forget what time it is and that have no sort of milestones of achievement about it. Mm. So (laughs) how do you play? Do you do anything that's just for fun?
1: I love that you've worded it that way. And quick caveat, I was listening to a podcast about an Enneagram 3 and somebody had asked him a similar question. How do you just like play? And he was like, oh, what I do is I become the best at being leisurely you know like I exceeded <laughs> it and I was like wow you're my person but ex- that's exactly it I knew there was a time where you know I, I was never going to be that person who just like you know feel when I needed a time to take a break and then take it no I need to do it with mm-hmm. intention and so there are some days where I will just watch Netflix for 10 hours and watch a season of the day because I can and I should and I want to and um it's finding activities like that that don't That I can't justify at all, but I will prioritize, and that is, you know, getting another (laughs) a chest of drawers from Facebook Marketplace and painting them. Do I need more drawers? No. Do I have more space? No. Am I going out of my way to inconvenience myself? Yes. Will it bring me joy? Absolutely.
0: (laughs) I love that you're now getting people to send you things they find on Facebook Marketplace that are like, if you see it and you know I need it, then I will take those drawers. I don't care how much room I have to move around
1: in my own house. (laughs) Honestly, it's just I'm outsourcing and optimizing my lifestyle. But yeah, just my challenge is, like you said, not, not trying to like monetize things or attribute like a, a like a, a value to things in the way mm-hmm. that it makes me feel good or bad to just do and being creative helps because I can just paint or make something or whatever and and it'll take a whole day and that's what I need yeah but yeah I mean I I just if you're not creative I don't know how you just find time to do things that don't matter because yeah like being person who's not creative and then doing creative things and not being good at it, that would suck. Because there's a reason why (laughs) I can go and buy a chest of drawers and paint them because I'm good at it. And you know it'll turn out well. Is enjoyable even if there's no like value attribute to it. I'm like, it's fun and it looks good. (laughs) (laughs) It does definitely look good.
0: (laughs) So just to finish up, what are three interesting things about you that don't normally come up in conversation? And I mean, you have a lot of conversations and are pretty open about yourself, so it's probably (laughs) a hard one, but... I mean, I read one that your last meal would be a bunless chicken burger with chips and mushroom sauce, which really surprises me yeah. because we know that you're bland now and I'm like, really? Mushroom <laughs> sauce?
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> and to think mushroom sauce is one of those things. So for – context the restaurant is hurricanes and i don't know if they exist in melbourne but they're definitely in sydney and it's just like a simple steakhouse type vibe the kind of place where you could take a family for like a nice ish meal for somebody's birthday but for the average you know like adult it's just where you go to on like a date night if you wanted to you know yeah I went there all as a teenager because it's where we used to go and we were 16 and we wanted to dress up go to Darling Harbour wear heels and go to a nice restaurant and I, I've ordered the same thing for years the bunless chicken burger because the bun is too big is it, it brioche the it's
0: also you hate brioche right
1: it's not brioche. it's oh. a big crusty seedy bun. Oh no Mm-mm. that you literally can't wrap your mouth around it's and not it just like takes up room of the pl- it's not it's not at all. So I remember like all throughout my high school high school period even in adulthood, my best friend Grace, I've got two best friends called Grace not to get them confused but Grace <laughs> from high school would always order mushroom sauce and it's brown it looks unappetizing and I was like ew, Grace Grace whatever and then one day, the picky eater tried it and was like, oh, I get it. Mushroom sauce is good. <laughs> <laughs> so unfortunately, though, I guess my, my taste buds have, you know, transformed in some way. But Hurricanes doesn't hit like it used to. Ooh. So I might have to amend my last meal later on in my life. But for now, I'll take it.
0: Nice. The other
1: thing that's quite... Let's just say it's something that people wouldn't know about me. Okay. If you look at your fingers, right, like turn your hands palm side up mm-hmm. and if you look at the little creases on your individual fingers right yeah how many can you count There's like, like defined creases
0: so there's like two at the base yeah two at the first knuckle and then one at the next knuckle mostly I show think. me
1: your put your palm to your thing so let's say you like look at your pinky right you've got like one at the base and then like that sort of like Two lines that are connected in the middle and the one at the top. So we could just say three defined points, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have four. What? <gasps> We've got one, two, three, four, and I. Had this. I don't know if it was a theory but when I was younger I used to say that I was definitely like an alien princess kidnapped right so unique, <laughs> so, unique. Um, <laughs> so unique like out of this world unique just you know it happens but I used to say it as a joke but I was just so annoyed that nobody would believe me I'm like why is that so out of the realm of possibility that I could be an alien princess who was sent down here to do a reconnaissance mission it's not impossible.
0: You could still not noticed, have been activated. Like, you don't know. That exactly. That's not still going to happen one day.
1: But there was a point I remember I had bought this, like, this really shitty bag from, like, Ruby Shoes or something. <laughs> and it, the straps of the bag were connected by these, like, little, like, clippy hooks. And the clippy hooks always used to, like, separate from the bag. And it was just this crazy thing. But one time the clippy hook that connected the straps to the bag separated and, like, impaled my finger.
0: Oh, my God.
1: And so – as my friends were kind of like, you know, helping me, you know, nursing me back to health, you know, in the in the food court in high school, somebody <laughs> pointed out that I had extra lines. Wait, someone else like, noticed oh. that? Yeah. As Because as we were like digging in and everyone was holding my hands, and being like, oh, my God, like, do you need to get stitches? Everyone's like, why do your fingers look so long? <laughs> like, what's what? that about? And I was like, oh, I don't know. And so we started comparing all of our hands and saying, oh, shit. I've got extra lines, but not an extra knuckle. And every now and then I'll remember this really special trait and I'll Google it. I'll I'll like go to like palmistry.com and figure out like what what it actually means. Because some people just have an extra line on one finger. I've and got you have them it on, on both? majority. Because yeah. you're special and different, I'm and you're special unique. and different. <laughs> it's been confirmed. So I feel like it's an identifier of sorts. And okay. eventually, when the aliens come down, they start to segregate us by value. And because we're all gross gremlin humans to them, the equivalent of like germs. They're not going to know how to, you know, segregate us by our skills or our perceived worth. They're going to look for physical characteristics. And I'm hoping that long fingers like theirs will be a point of... You know, harmony
0: Right I mean, I also think They'll look yeah. at your Furniture collection And go yeah. Yes Get her yeah. We valuable. want her She can make All the drawers in space
1: <laughs> Can you imagine? Aliens would think We're just such dummies Like this is what you do With your time Totally Absurd to- Totally um, They would look at Like
0: Instagram And just be like What is happening here?
1: Stupid people <laughs> <laughs> So that's one thing And oh, that's two things And I would th- say The third one is I mean, what don't people know about me? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I would say, I mean, maybe they do or don't know. So up until maybe like a year ago, maybe two years, I had this like preoccupation with thinking that over-emoting was a bad thing. I used to be such an emotions police officer. No! Where if people around me were over-emoting, laughing too loudly, crying too much, like doing anything too much... I would just get so physically uncomfortable and have to feel like I should police that environment. Often I didn't, but like these days, and do you know what it is? I've had to like go back into like the recesses of my mind because (laughs) as some, like if you look at me, I'm not a conservative person, right? Like I'm not someone who presents as being conservative in any way by like my ideologies, by the way I govern myself, whatever. But I definitely have like from just growing up had it drilled into me by my mum to be appropriate and like ah. conducting yourself in an appropriate way is very important. And because – so much of my life is unconventional. I am conducting myself appropriately for what is expected of my lifestyle, right? Of the situation. But when I move into spaces where the standard is conventionality and there is like (laughs) an appropriate way to act, I get super paranoid. So like if we're in public and like my friends are talking too loudly, I'm like, hey sis, like can you...
0: Oh my god, no way! <laughs> and they'd just be like, "Flaps, what the hell? You're the loudest relax. person ever."
1: <laughs> That's amazing. It's so bizarre, but I'm, I've I've been working on it. I, it's definitely something. Or like, if I'm in the bank and someone is like speaking oh, too bank. loudly, mm-hmm. I'm like, "Oh, no, 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 no!" <laughs> or if I'm at a bar and somebody is like not understanding that you've got to like have your money out ready or your card, and you've got to like decide before it's your turn, I like I freak out.
0: I actually I'm a particular adore particular how – well, that's what I was just about to say. I love how particular <laughs> your examples are as well. You're like – so I'm generally like – you know, X, Y, Z, but then you'll follow up with like the most specific example ever, like at a bar when you don't have your credit card ready for the person yes. at the bar.
1: And I'm like, oh my God, I love and you so much. frustrated. They're frustrated. <laughs> You're like frazzled. <laughs> <laughs> it's just total clusterfuck.
0: <laughs> so before the very last question, I just have one about something that people probably know, but some people might not know. Where did Flex Mommy come from? How did you choose oh, that name? Oh,
1: Yeah, see, everybody wants a really, like, fun story, but whoever has a fun story about the way their name came to be? Not one single person. No. For me, it was because the transition from being a person who played music occasionally in a club to being a full-time DJ pretty much happened over the span of a month. It was, mm-hmm. like, when it rained, it poured. The jobs were coming left, right, and centre. And back in those days, meaning, like, 2014 perhaps yeah um Instagram was a thing but it was definitely a type of person that used Instagram so photographer or like a person who was like a model or a brand builder or you might have been a normal person who just didn't post but there were definitely like particular ways of like operating and mm-hmm. I had an Instagram but I never posted I just lurked and stuff so I thought like oh, an indicator October. of being right just very I don't know if it's on brand or off brand who knows we're figuring it out <laughs> but I knew that like a a, a key component of being a DJ was having you know social media and you know with specific names and stuff so I remember being in a like a round table with the friends that I ran that club night with and I was like fuck I need a DJ name can we just quickly do a little like a little hour of power let's just get one so we can like quickly get the Instagram and get the Facebook and at that time Flex was a like I don't know, like a colloquial term used, like lit and sleek and <laughs> yeah, whatever it was like else. Mad flex bra. Yeah, you know, it was a thing, and so I was like, I want to use flex because I feel like that, like the connotations good. It's easy to spell. It's phonetic. <laughs> like it's so easy. But naturally, flex is so intertwined with the fitness industry and like the mm. chiropractic industry. <laughs> <laughs> and, and like the, the muscle man industry. So naturally all of the handles were taken. I'm pretty sure there was a DJ flex already. Ah oh, yeah, probably. So the round table then transitioned into, okay, we need like a prefix or a suffix to like make it yours. Like, you know, what about like Lil Flex? His name is Lillian Flex. And I was like, mm, it feels like a bit of a parody. It could be like on the nose a bit. Yeah. And so yeah. we're like, you know, it could be. And I was like, I just want something that like is very simple that eventually, if I don't need to use it, I can just take it off. So, like, a baby or like a. And it was at the time when everyone was called like young something, you know, or like. You know, so I was like, what about like a baby or like a mom? And someone's like, what about mommy? And I was like, fuck yeah, let's just do that. (laughs) Amazing. I love how it was so random. (laughs) We go onto Instagram to get Flex Mommy the handle and it's taken. How? But at this point, we had already committed to Flex Mommy. Like we had done the round table, had gotten everyone thinking for too much time at this point that we just had to stick with it. And we went on this guy's page, like this, this black guy who do not know where he's from. He has no bio, he's on private. And he has like Rude, a thousand does followers. Not it. A thousand followers now. My boyfriend checked the other day to make fun of him. <laughs> <it>. But um, <laughs> back then, he probably had a hundred and something followers. I was like, do I ask him? Because I remember somebody had um, bought Kanye West.com like his domain oh, yeah. and he ended up paying them a significant amount of money to get the domain back so I was like I don't want to be extorted <laughs> yeah oh my god but you need that name but I like, need the name this is my name now so I just decided to be flex.mami on Instagram and then took the rest of the handles and everything else and then that's it amazing but it was purely <laughs> a sh- it, it, it was it was uh, a manufactured name it wasn't never like a nickname it wasn't anything it was manufactured for the purpose of needing to be perceived as a brand and if I knew it was going to stick and be a thing then I would have considered it differently
0: but then it might not have come out so well
1: yeah who knows but now it's just flex I mean everybody just calls me flex the mommy is like a full government name like it's so formal yeah I know it's
0: like that is my (laughs) full name when you're in trouble flex mommy come over
1: here yeah who would have thought names matter
0: yeah but you know what I kind of think that if you had labored over it too much and known how far it would go you might not have ever decided on something
1: of course I love that you were just like yeah
0: that'll do and now it's like freaking amazing (laughs)
1: <laughs> to do I mean one day I'll retransition back into Lillian when it serves me and suits my lifespan but for now this will do it's also such a beautiful, delicate name, Lillian. It There's is, like, isn't it? Flex
0: is like so strong and like really <laughs> powerful word and then Lillian's like, Lillian. And I'm Dainty like, oh, it's flowery. just so like, yeah, <laughs> such a contrast. <laughs> One day soon, oh, my time oh. will come. <laughs> and very last question since I love quotes so much, what's your favourite quote? Ooh, wow, quotes. Big question, I know. <laughs> um, can I quote
1: myself? absolutely you can <laughs> <laughs> that would make it even better i've been saying for years and i'm pretty sure it's something that my mum would have said in one of her like amazing you know sermons to me yeah but it's simply if you know better you do better and it's <sighs> too pronged because on the first hand it asks you to kind of be a little bit more forgiving and forthcoming of uh, forgiving and sort of empathetic to people who don't know and therefore don't do or act in the way that you deem to be appropriate or good so when you come across somebody who's just a little bit ignorant and you're like oh mm. if you know if you knew better you probably would behave in a different way you know mm. so let me hold some sort of like empathetic space for you I try and then the second prong of that is in order to ever get to a point of evolving to a better version of yourself, you have to learn and educate and explore. You just don't get to that point without having to do the groundwork. And I feel as though a lot of us assume we're just going to land and arrive into actualization, and it's not happening. (laughs) So (laughs) we have to increase what we know to improve the quality of what we do.
0: Oh, my God, that's such a good one. And this is like a weird um, admittal admittal admission of there go. words are hard yeah <laughs> it's a weird admission mm-hmm. of how creepy I get in my research but I have another quote from your mom that I also think is wonderful Oh yeah yeah yeah. never do a job 50% Ooh, of the way yes. as if mm-hmm. someone was going to come and finish the rest yeah oh my god and she
1: drilled that into me and I it took me so long to understand and for context my mom single mom and she raised three kids right and she was always really um good at giving us context for our experience like the reason why you can't have that nintendo ds because i can't afford it this is how much i make an hour it costs this much to rent our home your school fees are this much therefore i can't afford it Mm -hmm. so and it was interesting though because sometimes she would just ask us to do things without context and we just struggled with with the reasoning behind it so every now and then i'd be in my family home and i haven't lived there since i was like 20 but she would ask me call me and be like hey can you take the frozen chook out of the freezer so it can thaw or can you take the um, the clothes off the line or something, right? And in my literal mind, sometimes I forget. Or sometimes I would just do what she asked and not finish it. So I would take the clothes off the line, but not fold them, not give people... Their clothes, Mm. and then it just makes more work for everyone because now she has to use her energy to tell me what I did wrong, why I need to fix it. I'm defensive now. I'm still attacked, and all these things happen when it could have been so easy and so simple. And so I remember one day she just kind of like blew up, and she was like, "The reason why I tell you that you need to do things the full way is because not because one day there won't be someone to magically help you, but because it's a reflection of how you." Of how you navigate the world Like understand the privilege it is To have access to do shit Understand how easy your life can be When you take full control Of the outcome of what you're doing If you're constantly waiting For so and so to come through And fix it and help you Then you're going to feel like You have no agency to do anything So like And this is why I always get so frustrated When somebody's like Hey Flex How do I start a podcast? It's like Is this 50% of the work You think is going to happen? Because I promise you There's like Six more line items That need to be ticked off (laughs) (laughs) It honestly changes, it changes your worldview when you're like, okay, in how many ways do I wait for somebody to come and finish the job? you know like when you don't tell your partner fully what you expect of them because you just think that they're going to connect the dots themselves or when you don't fully express how you feel to someone and assume they're going to figure it out or when you um you know when you go into a hairdresser and you're like i just want highlights and like what kind of like oh don't worry i trust you these are all ways you make your life so much more difficult just finish the job finish the sentence finish the thought like do it all in full and at least you can be so much more responsible for the outcome. But that one, it took me so long to figure it out. I'm like, what do you mean? I'm not doing things half done. I took I the chicken out. After. Jesus. I took it out. She's like, don't you know what happened to the chicken? Aren't I gonna make stew with it? Why couldn't you cut it? Why couldn't you start cutting the onion? Why couldn't you
0: and no, I was like, ah. Man, oh, my God. That's like about. My favourite. Yeah, it's like literally the 472nd nugget of wisdom I have just <laughs> taken from you today. Flex, you are extraordinary. One in a billion and so, so grateful for this chat and every chat that you have ever. I look up to you so much and I'm so, so grateful for your time.
1: Thank you. This was so fun. I love it so I know, so much fun. I'm like, oh my
0: god, I literally went like half an hour over. I'm so sorry, but it was just so easy. So much fun. When the
1: content's good, the content's good. Can't Absolutely. help it.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I can't constrain Flex Mommy's content. Like if mm-hmm. it's going to come out, it's going to come out. She's
1: a performer. What can I say? She's an I'm Enneagram 3. <laughs>
0: Okay, so firstly, especially while we're still in isolation to varying degrees, everyone go and buy yourself Reflex the Game. It is such an incredibly powerful and fun self-development tool. Is Flex slash Lil not one of the most fascinating people to listen to? I could chat to her about our ponderings on life for days on end and I very nearly did in this one. As always, I know she would love to hear if any of you had any revelations or takeaways from this chat. Please screenshot while you listen and share those tagging at flex.mami and myself if you enjoyed. If you want more from Flex, remember she also has her own podcast among many other things. Just head to her page for all the info. Hope you're having an amazing week and a seizing your yay.